Taking the Middle Seat, a podcast where we explore connection where you might not think it exists. I'm your host, Andrea, and I have always believed there is connection to be made when you sit next to someone and really take in their story. So every couple weeks, I'm taking the middle seat. I'm listening in on someone's story because I know that the middle seat holds healing and acceptance and laughter and community if we just stay open and remember that we belong to each other. I hope you'll listen in to each and every episode and that you'll find yourself moving in to hear the magic in the middle seat. This is episode four of Taking the Middle Seat. And today I'm interviewing the coolest person, my friend, Ruth Bell Olson. You're going to learn so much today. So much so that this is like a get a notebook, take notes type of interview. I don't normally say that, but today there's just so many good little nuggets that you're going to want to write down. Ruth is a teacher, a parent, a writer, an activist, and just an all-around beautiful soul. She is so passionate about the work she does, which you'll hear in her every word. We talk about a couple of her experiences being deeply involved with communities here and around the world, and with people walking through hard things. She doesn't shy away from anything, and has so much to share about finding our own voice and our own story, so that we can also make connections and impact. We talk about several organizations and other cool things that I will link to on my website and in the show notes. And as always, I'll throw a few comments at the end of the podcast about my takeaways from this conversation. So listen all the way to the end. All right. Now that those details are covered, let's get to the interview with Ruth Bell Olson. So Ruth Bell Olson is on Taking the Middle Seat today. How are you? Great. Friend. I'm so glad you're here. It's actually sunny, so we get to record in sunshine, which is a thing in Michigan. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen that often. So let's start with you telling me about you, like you, kids, life, work, right now. We'll start with that. Right now, uh, I am actively parenting three children, one of whom is a freshman in college. I like to actively. (laughs) Because you think you'll get one out of the nest and you you realize... um, you know, they, they all still need you in different ways. Yes. So uh, I'm married to Jeff, and he's darling. And then I have a daughter who just started college, a son who's a sophomore, mm-hmm. and a son in third grade. So you've got the gamut. I've got it all going on. Yes. 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 Yeah. And then work life outside of home. So I do some writing and speaking and a uh, little bit of teaching preaching kind of that whole spectrum and I also work a couple hours a week at a church in my capacity there I'm trying to um, help that congregation with greater engagement with the great causes of our day yeah so what whether that means uh, volunteering at the one of the homeless shelters in town or thinking of a more global perspective I get to walk with that group of people and it's great Awesome, awesome. And you had told me before that this is sort of a period of like, what are you going to do next? Because right. Because you've done right some really cool things for a long time, and this is kind of a period of figuring out transition, what's next. Right. Yeah. And I feel like I always say that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm always in, <laughs> always transition. in transition. What's next? <laughs> so I went to grad school um, as a quote-unquote adult learner. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because it makes um, you feel older than being right, an adult learner. Being in your yeah, mid to late 30s and going back to grad school. So uh, anticipating what, kind of, oh, I'm going to go back to school. And then you go to school and I'm still wondering, kind of, well, now that I'm done, what's next? And mm-hmm. um, so it's always 
transition, mm-hmm. which well, is okay. It's okay. Yes. I did, uh, right after grad school, I did work for a global nonprofit in the child welfare arena, which was a lot of travel and advocating for orphans and vulnerable children. And it was awesome and great and really hard. Mm-hmm. And so a year ago, I kind of let go of that and mm-hmm. over a year ago. Like, oh, that, what's next? And then, yes. <laughs> so I'm perpetually thinking there's something around the corner. On to the next. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what I get really interested in hearing about is people that have either walked through really hard things or walked with people while they're walking through really hard things. Mm-hmm. And you have done that in a multitude of capacities. Um, I would love to hear about your work in Grand Rapids and beyond with the HIV AIDS community. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you were kind of doing that when it wasn't cool. It wasn't, I don't know if it was ever cool, but um, <laughs> it wasn't like on everyone's radar. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you were sitting with people in really hard places. So talk a little bit about what you did and then okay. how you stayed there, what that felt like, those kinds of things. Sure. I think... Um, I'm old enough and young enough to remember a world pre-HIV, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I remember Ryan White and Elton John's advocacy and Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, all the kind of early, early yep. in the 80s. I have a, a kind of a basic memory of that, but it wasn't anything that touched our family or me personally. Sure. Um, so it was kind of out there in some other realm, and we didn't even have gay friends or... Mm-hmm. We didn't know people who chose to inject drugs. It was just, I grew up in really kind of a lovely white suburban Christian bubble. Right. And then went to a Christian college. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, which is has lovely things about it and yeah. some limiting factors, of course. Um, and I remember in college, I wrote this terrible paper, <laughs> terrible, terrible paper about HIV and the professor actually kind of made some comments like, hello, <laughs> hello, student, wake up. Um, Oh, bless and I just that didn't professor. have the. I think in my little bubble of a world, HIV was something that happened somewhere else to someone else. Yes. So I could have this this lovely distance and judgment mm-hmm. with something I didn't have any experience with. And to fast forward, then my husband and I were part of a church plant here in Grand Rapids that just kind of blew up. It was a super exciting time really wanting to see the the church or, or people of faith engage in the great causes of the day in a way that was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Not that we're going to go save the world, but we're going to maybe love the world. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Um, I know, yes. crazy concept. Yeah. Um, but it was crazy. I, I mean, I Really, I think love changes everything. Yeah. And we believe that deep in our core. Mm-hmm. And that set us on such an interesting path, but we realize as a community of faith there were these, I say, I keep saying causes, but there were there were these um, horrible things happening around the world, or mm-hmm. people that were being marginalized that the church was ignoring because it was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So that led us into all kinds of areas of involvement, like the Sahrawi refugees mm-hmm. that live on 100% on foreign aid in the middle of nowhere in Algeria, like our group, you know, said, okay, the, we care about that. Nobody cares about that. We're going to. Mm-hmm which was super exciting and problematic and tricky. And at this stage, this would have been around 99, 2000, 2001, 
HIV became something somewhat controlled and medicated in our own country. I say that carefully because it wasn't for everybody, but in general, mm-hmm. was not this the spike and an epidemic that it had been. Mm-hmm. So it had kind of gone off the radar. But what was happening in places like Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia, um, parts of Eastern Europe, the virus was spreading like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And it was largely with people that the world in general had said we don't need to care about. Yep. So as a community of faith wanting to be a force of love in the world, it was very imperative that we not turn a blind eye to that. Mm -hmm. So the issue of HIV AIDS really fell under my area of volunteer leadership as just a a church volunteer, Mm -hmm. which sent me to all these crazy places. I spent a lot of time in different African countries and AIDS clinics, and I was at different conferences around our country on my kind of learning curve of what the heck does this even mean and I really didn't know anything so mm-hmm. so the magic in some ways uh, which I would say to, to people who are listening like, how do I get involved mm-hmm. show up and shut up mm-hmm. show up for whatever the in, in Grand so I'm you know all over the world but saying wait a minute if there is HIV in sub-Saharan Africa and some of these other places what does it look like in our own community because mm-hmm. if I care about something far away what does it look like in, I live here so if I care about something I need to care about it in my own backyard yeah so I started showing up for events like one of the first ones um, the Black Nurses Association mm-hmm. had a seminar on on AIDS mm-hmm. we don't really call it we don't say AIDS as much anymore but back then we did so I show up. I'm I'm not a person of color and I'm not a nurse, mm-hmm. but I show up because they were going to give uh-huh. a seminar and they were so lovely and wonderful and I learned so much just in that, you know, half-day seminar. Yeah. So I started looking for things that where I could learn mm-hmm. and where I could just show up. Mm-hmm. So then it was the AIDS walk and then I ended up joining the board of what is now called the Grandpa's Red Project and serving in ways that I could just do so and learn and hopefully not be a problem. <laughs> right. Not cause more problems. Not cause more problems. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's the goal. And I love, love, love the show up and shut up. I was actually going to ask you about it because it was in some other interview that I read mm-hmm. that you had done. And I was like, yes. Like, there, we don't have anything to say in those yeah. spaces if you don't if you haven't walked it or if it's a whole new arena. But we can still and should still show up however we can mm-hmm. and not let the fear of walking into the black nurses association meeting keep you from showing up mm-hmm. but then zip it like right <laughs> just you learn earn, you have to earn the right to speak yeah and i think i realized my ignorance mm-hmm. pretty early on and i had mm-hmm. a couple open mouth insert foot kind of opportunities mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really fun growth <laughs> growth, growth opportunities. opportunities and i mm-hmm. learned to say Okay, I, I don't know what I just did. I don't know what I just said, but but help me. Yeah. And it's amazing how much ground and how much goodwill you can earn when you're willing to be teachable and humble and fall on your sword and say, I don't know, but I want to do better. Yeah. And trying to you know read the room or read those relationships when you can see people kind of shutting down. Okay, I, yeah, I don't I don't know, but I'm here because I want I want to do better and I want to learn. Yeah. So I had a lot of those opportunities too. <laughs> yeah. um, and the first time I showed up at the Red Project, which was called HIV AIDS Services at the time, I was—I mean, I probably had a clipboard. I had a notebook. I was mm-hmm. earnest. I'm going to help <laughs> with HIV in Grand Rapids. Yes. I'm here. Yay. Um, and I, Dave Watt, who was just a lovely, lovely man, was the program manager at the time. And he looked at me and he said, um, 
you can't help us. <laughs> we do, you know, outreach in the gay bars and we do a needle exchange and like you have no skills mm-hmm. in any area. here I have a very expensive college degree yeah I have all these lovely things going for and me and a clipboard I mean and you I have a notebook, a notebook. <laughs> come on I've read lots of books That's I've read right. lots of articles and he said you can't help us and 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 you know immediately you're like wait a minute yes I can and right. get, you know my haunches up and he said no 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 the, the people we need no one's going to listen to you mm-hmm. white privileged girl from the suburbs you think you know everything mm-hmm. and I said okay and I took that and really took it to heart mm-hmm. that there are different roles for each of us and I don't need to be in charge and I don't need to to run this or that if I don't have those skills but I looked at him I said well I think I can raise some money for you mm-hmm. he was like so right <laughs> you know like what okay so I can't do these things mm-hmm. which might be a little more um on the ground, a little more intensive, a little sexier, kind of in the activist world. Right. No, you can go to a bunch of meetings and try to raise some money. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what they needed the most at that time. Yeah. So I think for people who want to get involved, show up and shut up. And then creatively look at ways maybe that you do have skills that could serve mm-hmm. um, and not always have a predetermined idea of what that might be. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to be in the middle of things. I have found yeah. that just telling people about things is almost most often the the gift I have is mm-hmm. to connect people that want to spend money on something or just have no just haven't run across the organization or the issue I can mm-hmm. point them in that direction or speak you know from social media or stuff that you feel like is really small mm-hmm. I constantly have people tell me like what in the world is the red project what I've never heard of one million thumbprints I've never heard of xyz and then you can tell them about it, and maybe they'll go there and go to the website and donate some money or whatever. Sure. And that's a huge thing, I think. Yeah. People shouldn't minimize their role, even if they're not on the street corner giving out the clean needle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which we don't actually do on a street corner. <laughs> <laughs> See? Opportunity. Growth opportunity. Well, that was something. I mean, I at, at one point I did join joined the board and then became the chair of the board but I didn't know how I felt about something like needle exchange Mm -hmm. they probably should have vetted me as a board member a little more carefully (laughs) uh they when I said I could raise money it was like sold um I didn't know how I felt because Mm -hmm. I had been taught that drugs are bad people who do drugs are bad and we certainly aren't going to give drug paraphernalia to people who are going to go use it like that's all just bad Mm -hmm. and so I had really mixed feelings about it and but nevertheless, joined the board and was advocating for this organization. And then actually started spending time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fixed site at that time was at Heartside Ministries. Mm-hmm. And on certain hours of the week, you could go and it's a one-for-one. So people would bring in their dirty needles and they could exchange for clean ones. Mm-hmm. In the process, of course, the in the exchange room, which is, which is private, not in the lobby, um, the person doing the exchange has an opportunity to meet someone at a really vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your tell me what's going on in your life mm-hmm. with absolutely no judgment. Mm-hmm. Meeting someone uh, meeting someone right where they are and treating them with a great deal of dignity. Mm-hmm. You're a person, I'm a person. We're going to have a conversation. Because coming to exchange a dirty needle for a clean one is a huge step toward I care about myself and my wellness and I want to live. Mm-hmm. So what a beautiful opportunity for someone to say, hey, so tell me your story. And maybe mm-hmm. that person is ready to make some changes in their life. Maybe they're not. Mm-hmm. But to affirm a choice <clears throat> that is promoting their health and growth and well-being. Mm-hmm. 
And I think there are so, you know, to say something, oh, that's just bad. Right. You know, that's just bad. Don't do it. Well, that that clearly always works. Yes. <laughs> People respond to that really well. Of course. No. Just how about no. like, I'm, yeah, just mm-hmm. say no. How about I'm going to take your hand mm-hmm. and I'm going to treat you like a person because maybe nobody has. Yes, ever. And I'm going to love you to the mm-hmm. next step. And I'll be here next. You want to come next? I'll be here next week. Mm-hmm. And I'll be here the next week. Mm-hmm. And so the stories of intervention for people are amazing. Mm-hmm. And then getting into things like overdose prevention, which was a huge part of the work and still is a huge part of the work at mm-hmm. Bread Project. Like if someone's going to come in, that's a great with their dirty needles and to train them and how to prevent overdoses. Yeah with the friends they're shooting with or whatever, um, and capturing that data, that these are actual lives being saved. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like really life or death. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. Is there anything that you do to, like if you're going to plan to be in a space like that, somewhere that's not your normal kind of walking around day to day, and you know that there's going to be people there that are vulnerable that you're wanting to sit in community with, is there anything you do to prepare yourself, your mindset, your physical self to do that, to go into that space? Well, um, in general, I would say, um, yeah, you got to deal with your own crap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're going in to save somebody else because you haven't done the work on yourself, that's going to backfire big time. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I love the idea of balancing action and contemplation. Mm-hmm. As a person of faith, that that resonates with me, I think, just as a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as an activist, for so many years, I was activist, activist, activist. Like, go, go, go. And where's the next event or march or meeting or, right. you know, fire up. And yes. it's so easy to burn out if you don't spend that time. Okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? What does my engagement look like? Am I taking care of myself? Um, I mean, I have a spiritual director, physical doctor. I have, you know, like yeah. what are the, I have, uh, I think it's great when people have a therapist and a trainer and a nutritionist right. and like bring it all on because yeah. how can we be as healthy as possible that we bring that person into those arenas mm-hmm. instead of my own brokenness because then I'm just going to, you know, spill that all over everybody else. Yeah. But I have um, to learn that. I mean, I had to bumble along and mm-hmm. still probably make some mistakes. I'm part of a group now called the Red Cord Community which is a very contemplative, intentional group of women. And we go regularly to meet with the women at Open Doors at Degage. Mm-hmm. And there's all that, we do all this like centering and mm-hmm. focusing. And now when you sit down with someone, what, and and sometimes I think, oh really, we're doing, okay, we're gonna have all this time to sit and prepare and like, let's just go and let's just be with the women, like they're great. Right. Um, but that intentionality, is so beautiful because we're working toward, and hopefully all of us in any arena of activism, there's charity. Mm-hmm. Then maybe charity goes toward hospitality, right? I'm not just the privileged person giving to you, poor person who's stuck in a bad place. Mm-hmm. Maybe it goes into hospitality. Well, I'm going to invite you in, or we're going to kind of deepen our relationship. And don't we want to move from hospitality to mutuality? Yes, yes. So when I go, you know, to the needle exchange or to open doors, I have so much to learn. Yeah. That there's a mutuality that is really where we see this great transformation between mm-hmm. people. If I can kind of set aside my own judgments and say, wow, I'm going to sit with this person. They have something to teach me. I don't know if I have anything to offer you, but I think you might have something to offer me. Mm-hmm. And I, when I think about just wanting to be a person who continually is transformed, I think it's those relationships that transform us and maybe show us some of our own blind spots. I know in 
For sure. Certainly in the HIV world, my own judgments and my own preconceived ideas, I mean, those mm-hmm. were shot down, continue to be shot down. And I needed, mm-hmm. though, right? I needed some of those. are some blind spots. Yeah. And I really am grateful. I'm so grateful that I had friends who walked such different paths, their life journeys so different from mine, mm-hmm. and taught me so much yeah. about, not only about life and, and life choices, and but God and the world and, you know, kind of big picture down to little minutia that I didn't know. Yeah. And I needed. And I, there's kind of that reciprocity and mutuality that is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it all comes from. Yes. The learning and the love and the whole thing. So the next, not the next, I mean, I'm sure you didn't walk right from like HIV AIDS to climbing a mountain. There was a few (laughs) things in there, but (laughs) the next thing I know about you (laughs) that kind of big things that I know that you've done um, is you work with an organization called One Million Thumbprints mm-hmm. that you can talk about. Yep. yep. Um, and then you climbed a mountain, right? I did. Yes. <laughs> so I did. talk about so why that happened. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> why would yeah. you? Why would you do that? So, um, kind of in the in the midst of a lot of my HIV activism and lots of travels, and we ended up uh, our youngest child was adopted from South Africa, which is a country kind of ground zero for HIV. So walking through that whole journey, advocating for children and then advocating for my own child and such an interesting learning curve. And like I said, I went back to grad school as an adult learner mm-hmm. and non-traditional student, traditional student. Yes. Um, Cause I really felt like I'd been on this interesting journey through, uh, through our, our church and really wanted to be a force of love. And then so many things changed changed at that, that church, that organization, I really wanted to continue my learning curve. So my grad program was in global leadership. And in that program, I just was, it was so beautiful. And it, and it continued my learning journey, of course, and whether it was issues of global activism and relief and development and human sexuality and kind of things HIV related, but I also was super captivated by peacemaking and peace studies mm-hmm. and ended up doing my kind of final work um, and kind of final paper in that arena. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories that was so captivating to me was this this church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that really embraced peacework in Eastern Congo. And I was so struck, and these are just normal people, and yeah. they're really awesome. And I went and spent time with them, and they were partnering with an organization called World Relief, which is a world, you know, kind of global relief and development organization that saw a place like Eastern Congo that is just so rife with horrific Mm -hmm. violence that if we could, you know, they, in partnership with World Relief, they said if we can develop something like grassroots, they call them village peace committees, Mm -hmm. if we can help people really with basic conflict resolution in their own, at that person-to-person, one-on-one level, that can change the fabric of a whole community that is just rife with with violence and really empowering and teaching the principles of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mandela, MLK, Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. Gandhi. There are these principles that uh, 
that really kind of up, upset the whole paradigm. Like mm-hmm. it's not eye for an eye. There's that kind of the myth of redemptive violence that if I hit you and then you hit me back, then we're even. No, no, no. Then, yeah. you hit, then I hit you. Right. This right. escalates. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which I think is so important, especially as we look at what's happening in our own country today, mm-hmm. that there is this myth of redemptive violence. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a gun and you have a gun, that somehow we're, we're even. No, no, it just means more people are hurt. Right. And everybody's wounded. And everybody's wounded. Yes. And, and if we kind of go go upside down and say, how about we, we completely disarm and I mean that in you know literal, literal figurative yeah. ways that change and how we interact with each other and how we treat each other. There, there are these principles that are completely upside down and, mm-hmm. and beautiful and can change the fabric of a place that is incredibly violent. So so I studied this this church and their engagement in Congo mm-hmm. and ended up really like I said being captivated by this idea of nonviolence and um, a lot of the writings of Walter Wink and some other people who. Um, helped me kind of crystallize what does this mean to be a person in the world that is a person of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. And I'm a survivor of multiple eating disorders and crazy stuff when I was younger. And I realized that nonviolence is something you have to practice personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you have to practice it in your family mm-hmm. and in your marriage and in your in your first kind of tier relationships and in your community. Mm-hmm. And then what does it look like then to take that to a global extreme? It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, when I was working for the, the Global Child Welfare Nonprofit, I was in Baltimore, and that's where World Relief's headquarters are. Okay. And at that time, the leader of that organization was a friend of mine. And he uh, was out of town when I was happened to be there, but he wanted me to meet his wife. Mm-hmm. And her name is Belinda. And so we met and had one of those, like, two-hour lunches where you're in tears and mm-hmm. <laughs> like your hearts really connect. Because peacemaking is something that's very near and dear to her heart as well. Mm-hmm. And she said, especially for women, especially for women who are subjected to violent, unspeakable violence in certain parts of the world where, where there's war and conflict. Mm-hmm. So she's sharing her vision with me, and I'm, I'm, yes, this is kind of like a logical extension of some of the things I've been studying. And she called me a few weeks later, and she said, are you sitting down? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, but you can, but continue. <laughs> Go ahead. Hit me with it. She said, I have this crazy idea that I think we need to go to Congo and meet with the women. And then I think we need to climb Kilimanjaro to raise awareness for the plight of, uh-huh. of these women who have just been subjected to horrific, horrific violence. And she said, and she kind of, she kept prefacing before she even asked the question, was I in? She kept prefacing, like, you know, you want to sit down? Do you want to, right. you know, you're going to want to talk to your husband? And I just, she said, we're going to climb this mountain and go into a war zone. And I said, sure. Right. I'm in. <laughs> She's like, don't you want to think about it? Do you want to pray about it? Do you want to talk to your husband? I said, I can. I can do all of those things. Right. But I'm in. And now, <laughs> we're just going to put a pin right there. Is that just, like, your nature? Like, it feels like that's just something that you do because you're, I don't know, wired to just, like, say, yes, I'll go. I'll go to that meeting. I'll do that thing. I'll go to that country. Or what? Because I'm not sure most people <laughs> would just be like, uh-huh. I yes. think, um, yes, maybe all of those things. Okay. If you start showing up for th- little things. Yeah. Like, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to go to meet with, the program manager at HIV AIDS services. Like yeah. if I'm going to go like do this next little baby step and yeah. I'm going to show up for the AIDS walk and I'm going to show up for this kind of awkward meeting with these awkward people. Right. I'm going to be at a booth at this really weird, you know, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to show up. And even for me showing up at something like the pride festival, I mean, that was out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And having kind of in-depth conversations 
about gay sex and yep. HIV with strangers. Yep. Not in my wheelhouse. Yep. But you do that a couple times and you realize, wow, these are really precious interactions. These are people who need someone to talk to. Like, I, I, yeah. can, I can do this. Yeah. So part of it is the more you show up and shut up and learn and end up really having that beautiful mutuality yeah. with people, you want more of it. You realize, I want more of that. I want yeah. to be stretched more. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a piece of it. I do have a little bit of that. You know, give, give me a challenge. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram 7, so if there's something, like, if there's okay. something I can plan that's exciting, like, I'm in. <laughs> we have to have a whole other podcast about the Enneagram. We do Got it. Of Enneagram. So, so part of it is, yeah, like, if there's a party, I want to be there. Uh-huh. Most people don't think of going into a war zone and climbing a mountain as a party, but I knew there would be such amazing, like, the yeah. other women who said yes, mm-hmm. I knew would be incredible people. Yeah. And I knew it would change my life. Yeah. And I knew that I would be okay. Yeah. And if I wasn't, I would still be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. Like, that's what it, I just knew I was somehow being, being held and carried and. Yeah. So I said yes. Yes. <laughs> so then you went. So then that was, uh, I can't remember when I said yes. It was quite, it was maybe 14 months or something before we actually left. And there were 13 women aged from 20-something to 60-something. Wow. And, you know, really interesting group of women, kind of a diverse cross-section of peacemakers. And we met, we all kind of converged at the Amsterdam airport. And it, and we knew some of us had relationships with each other, but mm-hmm. some of us were total strangers. Mm-hmm. And we met, I remember meeting at the airport, like, Okay, this these are the people I'm going to do this with. Mm-hmm. Like like we're going to we're going to get to know each other really Real well. well. Yes. So, yeah, we flew to um Rwanda and then we had to take vehicles into uh Eastern Congo and when you cross Rwanda is and I've been to Rwanda several times in the past. So it's been interesting to watch the genesis of that country when I first went it was uh much more developing world it was 10 years post-genocide things were still kind of nutty and now it's really a global city it's Kigali Mm -hmm. at least is really a beautiful global city so when you cross from Rwanda into Goma which is where we crossed there's this funny little in Lake Kivu which is beautiful oddly beautiful we were crossing this kind of zone no man's zone between the two countries and it's like the electricity gets turned up it's like there's a like a buzz in the air I don't really know Mm -hmm. how else to describe it and when you cross into Congo it's it's weird it just the the air is different Mm -hmm. it was very very strange and you know you're not in Kansas anymore Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's uh, the vehicles we traveled in had huge stickers with um, AK-47s with a red line through them you know to let people know they were not armed Uh Uh, we had UN convoy I mean it's just a very different yeah uh, a different experience Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I didn't realize we were in Goma, which is a city, you know, just a, a city. We had stayed in a hotel. It was kind of not as odd. I didn't realize we were heading into Rachuru, which is the heart, pretty much the heart of the worst conflict. I did not know that 13 American women uh-huh. <laughs> and one American man, we had another man with us, were traveling into kind of hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I somehow missed that on the itinerary. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, oh, mountain climb, yes, do, yeah. do. So we were in this this church kind of community center with with uh, with women who who showed up 
and we kind of had to go there, I think, for, for them to be able to tell us their stories. So there was a reason we, we did. Um, we were there for a couple of days, and women came to this, this center and one by one shared their stories. Mm-hmm. Some of them were holding babies, mm-hmm. uh, which were the result of horrific rapes. Mm-hmm. And one by one, they, they stood in front of us and told stories that I, mm. I just, I, I, to this day, I can't really wrap my mind yeah. around what it's like because of your gender you are vulnerable and absolutely unspeakable things mm-hmm. have been done to your physical body and your soul mm-hmm. but they have solidarity with each other mm-hmm. and and they, they will move forward mm-hmm. you know they'll they'll move on and then we met with these village peace committees mm-hmm. and talked about how uh, a lot of the funds we were raising were to have more peace committees mm-hmm. and to support the the women in the communities because the peace committees are, are both genders. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's also just kind of bridging that gender divide, mm-hmm. which is super healthy and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the peace work they're doing. I mean, some of it's just simple. My neighbor did something on my property. I mean, some of it's just really kind of basic. And then some of it's really profound. Yeah. I mean, it's all profound, but... Um, so it's kind of fun to hear their stories as well. And then we went to a fistula hospital and yes. where the women are being treated for some of the damage that's been done. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, changed me probably the most. <laughs> I mean, it has to. I just... Yeah, that was, uh, that was probably... I've been a lot of hard places, mm-hmm. especially with... Uh, I mean, I've been to love funerals of people I just loved who died of advanced HIV disease and I've sat in clinics and rural yucky places in Africa with people who are dying and mm-hmm. and, and HIV is an ugly ugly thing it's mm-hmm. a terrible terrible way to die but to live through something like these women lived through to survive something so awful mm-hmm. uh, yeah that was yeah, so we, we left the official hospital, and we headed, headed back into Rwanda, and we missed our flight. So we were, uh, over 24 hours, we were in, I think, four or five different countries trying to get on different flights to get to Tanzania. Okay. So mm-hmm. international travel is super glamorous and lovely <laughs> and really yeah. hard. Um, you super know. glamorous, yeah. You know? There's a lot of sunglasses and really fancy suitcases yeah, and right. whining and dining. Right, right. Yes. I just find, I mean, even if you're just sitting on multiple airplanes, somehow your body just, there's an exhaustion that's unique to that. So yes. I feel like we were, um, I did one of the most emotionally hard things to mm-hmm. be in that space with, with those women and, and a little girl in the mm-hmm. Fisher Hospital. Then to go on uh, total crazy planes, trains, and automobiles and ridiculousness to get to Tanzania, where we were then having to do the most physically hard thing I've ever done. Yes. <laughs> so we finally get to Tanzania. We have like a day to repack our bags and our backpacks and stuff and then head up the mountain. And we did. Mm-hmm. We did. We had African porters, so we didn't have to carry all everything on our backs, mm-hmm. um, which sounds really awful that then African people <laughs> carried our stuff on their back but it's a huge source of income mm-hmm. in that part of Tanzania and Kenya so there's there are those funny things that you have to hold I think whenever you engage with a vulnerable community or people who have historically been marginalized there's mm-hmm. a funny you have to hold that tension mm-hmm. and be honest about it mm-hmm. that it does feel funny sometimes well that's one of my 
question. I have a million questions, mm-hmm. but one of them is how do you re-enter your life here in Michigan after going through all of that? Um, I feel like that would be hard re-entry and hard to sit with that like dichotomy of I was just in this awful horrible place and but for different geography and time I could have been that woman on that bed Mm -hmm. with in the in the official hospital and then you continue to like get dressed and brush your teeth and go pick your kid up from school like life has to continue what do you do for yourself to be able to navigate that mm-hmm. transition. Yeah, the first time I came back from South Africa, which was early 2000s, I was a kind of a disaster for mm-hmm. several weeks. And then my husband and I went to Rwanda a year or two later. And that was like another layer for me. Mm-hmm. Um, South Africa has lots of pain and violence and turmoil, but doesn't have quite the history of genocide that Rwanda does. So, mm-hmm. I mean, depending on how you gen- Define genocide, I guess you could say. South Africa does too, but that I was super goofy after coming back from Rwanda for a while. That really kind of messed me up. I have really beautiful friends who mm-hmm. I remember after the Rwanda trip sitting on my friend's porch. I mean, it was like a July 4 barbecue or something. I'd worn the same clothes for a week. Uh-huh. Uh, I had worn no jewelry. I mean, I was really just kind of out of it. Yeah. And I had friends who, that's fine. Yeah. I can just be out of it. And they, mm-hmm. they don't, you know. I, that's okay. So I think sometimes surrounding yourself too with people, this is going to take some time, and that's okay. Yep. Um, so when you have those experiences, then coming back from from Congo and Kilimanjaro, not to say that it wasn't as hard. Mm-hmm. And I think even now, I mean, I ended up leaving my position at the, my my job, and I you know I made some life changes. Like I I needed some space mm-hmm. to sit in that in that, and I did mm-hmm. some writing about it. And a lot of us who climbed together, we did lots of phone calls and lots of, okay, I'm not crazy, and mm-hmm. this really happened. I think we had to kind of remind ourselves that this happened. Yeah. Because you can put it on a on a box on a shelf and compartmentalize. It's it, We can, yeah. because we live in privilege, you can. Yeah. And uh, I've taken lots of teams on different trips to hard places, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to watch how some people do. They just put it like, oh, I went to Mexico for spring break, and then I went to... <laughs> Africa right. on this trip and it just goes like somewhere. Yep, on the timeline. There's a, there's and a period of the I did that thing and um which is a which is too bad. Yeah. But I think part of it is I'm I'm sure our own self preservation and protection. But yeah. um I had a, a group that a couple of groups, but one group in particular that sat with me and, mm-hmm. and let me just tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. And didn't try to fix it, and try to answer it, and try just let me just sit in that pain. Yeah, you have your um, own people that will show up and shut up, and yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm really really grateful. Yeah, and it does it does uh, fan the flames. I think yeah. for me, yeah. this is the reality. So, for so many women, and then when we have like the Me Too movement, and I've lately had so many women here locally that I know and love who've shared their stories. Yeah, of gender based violence. Mm-hmm. So, there's work to be done here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- those those are connected. Though that's not like the women in Congo and the women in Grand Rapids are not connected right. in something really profound that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a few questions that I tend to ask 
everybody, everybody <laughs> being you're the fourth person. Um, what makes you feel seen and heard? Because I know when you're, I mean, I have a different type of helping profession, but when you're the seer and the hearer, and that's typically your role, um, we don't necessarily think as often as maybe we should about what makes us feel seen and heard as the helpers. Mm-hmm. Um, so what spaces make you feel the most seen, heard, people, whatever that feels like? Yeah, I would say uh, the friends and, and peers and kind of fellow sojourners that, mm-hmm. that we do literally sit in circles and say, mm-hmm. okay, what what's going on with you today? Or what have you, have you experienced? Or how can we support mm-hmm. one another? In a non-judgmental mm-hmm. way, in a way that isn't necessarily trying to fix anything, but I'm going to hear you and hear you deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's not about me. I think so often we, and I was just with someone recently that I love and they're great, but everything I lobbed out, uh-huh. then it was like, well, then then my, then, well, this is how I, yes. <laughs> all of a sudden it just bounced right back uh-huh. to her. And I think we have a tendency to do that because we're yeah. processing what someone's saying and we're immediately applying it to our own lives instead yes. of just letting it be. Yeah. sit kind of in this neutral space mm-hmm. as someone shares something about their life. Mm-hmm. So I have really wonderful people in my world who can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had someone share recently a, a story of trauma. And I said to my husband actually this morning, I said, I think I need to now, and I named somebody who, who is kind of an expert in that area of trauma. I think I need to now meet with this person Yeah, <laughs> because I have like secondary trauma yes. from hearing this story. So I think I need to, whether it's my therapist or somebody else, this particular friend I think has a therapeutic background and might speak to this subject. So yes, I just this morning said to him, I think now that this person has put this on me, I need to then have yes the next person to help me process. Uh, and I think just to be honest about that, yeah, that sometimes you can't. Wow, I need a I need a place to sort this out. I need I need this to sit somewhere because right now it's just sitting in a really odd place. Yeah, and to be honest about that, yeah. For sure. Sometimes you bring in the big guns, and sometimes it's just a friend over coffee, or yes, um, it can look a couple different ways. Yeah, you don't have to but. be like the repository of all the things. Like we need a valve too, to mm-hmm. let mm-hmm. some of that out in an appropriate way. Yes, and I think so often we go through things uh, so that they can make so that they can be redeemed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about all for many years. I would meet with women who were in the thick of eating disorders. I was on the other side. Mm-hmm. So I could say, there's hope for you, or here's some, here's some tools, or, or I'm just going to sit with you in your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we don't believe kind of there's some redemption for the pain we go through, that's mm-hmm. super hopeless. But if we can say, hey, I've, I've been through this hard thing, or I've witnessed this hard thing, so that I can turn around and help someone who's in the mm-hmm. thick of it. Mm-hmm. So the more honest we are, I think, about our own stories and our own journeys, then without doubt, you're going to run into someone who needs Absolutely. your exact experience to bless them to say oh okay there is another side to this yes um yeah um what do you think people can do to create more genuine connection either like one-on-one in the larger community in the world like wherever you want to take that at but if people are this is not something that they jump at the chance to do but they are just feeling that kind of urging to create more connection what is like a an avenue to get there. You mean as far as service or getting, or I just think whatever, just if they're, I love the idea that people, if we lean into people's stories and we get in spaces that are not our normal spaces, 
connections will be made. Mm -hmm. But like just kind of the practical way of doing that. Like if somebody's feeling like, I don't understand this community or I just feel like I need more genuine connection, what is something you think of that people can do to do that? Well, I think to know your own story yeah. is a huge place to start. Mm-hmm. Right, what I just For said sure. about going through your yes. own, what what pieces do you have? You know, did your parents divorce when you were young? Did you have yeah. a, um, did you travel somewhere that really impacted you? What, whatever those things are that are mm-hmm. part of your story. Uh, there was a season in my life where I didn't really want my own story. I wanted somebody else's. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't really want this to be what I've gone through. Like, ew. Yeah. Um, and some of the really hard things that I've lived through, I didn't really want mm-hmm. those things. But when you reconcile, no, this is your, you get one go around. This is your story. This is what you've been through. This is uh, maybe what you've survived or what you've witnessed. Mm-hmm. To embrace that and say, mm-hmm. well, then this this is going to be my channel of, of goodness and blessing and love in the world if mm-hmm. I can. But part of it is just even knowing and owning that this is me and being honest about it. Yeah. And surrounding yourself with people who support that. Mm-hmm. I There was a, a season where I had a, a group of friends that we would get together on a regular basis, and every time I left, feeling worse about myself. Mm-hmm. Something about that dynamic, I don't know if it was a kind of female competitive, or I, I don't I don't even know that I can put my finger on it, but mm-hmm. I always left feeling worse about myself, and I realized mm-hmm. then those are not the friends for you. Mm-hmm. Not that you're gonna cut off all ties or not be, be loving and generous, but I do not need to meet regularly with a group of women that make me feel like, oh, I need a different, hairdo a different car a different you know, whatever right. that thing is right. um i i probably need a, a different group of peeps mm-hmm. that can meet me at a different level yeah and, and a little more of a, a gut head heart gut you know let's let's really do life together yeah and could challenge me and i could challenge them in a, in a more mutual way so mm-hmm. part of creating your people and your circle is who's gonna who's gonna enter in at that and and being honest yeah. about that too that just yeah. because you've been friends with you know so-and-so since high school doesn't mean they're necessarily the best person for you to spend a lot of time with we have a limited time and space and who's going to help me really propel me to be the force for good in the world that I want to be yeah and knowing Um, that you're worth maybe breaking off those connections that aren't making sense like you're worth that to yeah end that in a loving way like you said but but you don't have to Mm -hmm. continue those relationships because I think a lot of people just think well just I just have to keep being nice. I just do. Right. right. And some relationships are life-giving and some are not. Yes. So yeah. fill your life with the people who, and they might be kind of unexpected. That's yeah. all right. Mm-hmm. And maybe limit the time for people that just suck the life out of you. Yes. Um, unless there's someone that you feel called to serve. Unless there's, it's someone that you feel like, wow, I really, this is this is the kind of relationship where, where we're going to work toward mutuality because, right. you know, sometimes seasons of life, whatnot. But I think once you know your story and once you have um, some community, some somebody who's got your back, um, what are those causes, issues, um, problems that, that you really, they keep you up at night? Mm-hmm. What are the articles you, that you're like, somebody's got to do something? Mm-hmm. I remember early, early on saying to this group from my church, you know, that HIV, what we do or don't do in response to HIV will define my generation. Mm-hmm. If we show up or don't, that, I mean, that's going to be a marker for, for what happened on your watch. Why didn't you care? Yep. And I think there are several today several topics that fall into that mm-hmm. category um so what are you paying attention to and yeah. what is it that you can't be all things to all people and you can't you know fix everything but but maybe women who are subjected to violence maybe that is something that you go that is not okay yeah or i'm a survivor of a abusive relationship or something where you go that's that's gonna i need to dig a little deeper there well yeah. 
then call Safe Haven, call the YWCA, yeah. find out, hey, do you have volunteer opportunities? Or can I just sit with someone? I just sat with Jen Timmer, who uh, runs the crisis shelter for the YWCA, mm -hmm. and I sat in her office and just let her teach me mm -hmm. what is the work they do there? Who comes in your doors, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's women, it's women and children. Mm -hmm. What is life like for them? What are some ways that they that those women and families could be served? What are some ways they could be blessed? What mm -hmm. what are some of the challenges? So maybe it's just having a meeting like that mm -hmm. and saying this is this is something and then then sit with that for a while. Maybe maybe I can engage here. Maybe maybe that's not the place for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, people often, you know, show up and you might show up for something and you might volunteer for a year and say, That's really not my thing. That's okay. Yeah. Yes. You don't have to sign on for life. That I mean I I'm still a, a huge champion of the Red Project, but I'm not on the board, and I'm a very sporadic volunteer. So mm -hmm. that was a season of my life and a really deep season I'm so grateful for. Mm -hmm. But I'm not still as engaged there as I once was because yeah. now I'm on to kind of the next thing, yeah. and that's absolutely okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think when you – um, and now I'm forgetting what you said that made me think of this, but also not um, minimizing your own mm -hmm. story. Like someone – I have a fairly um, not bumpy past. <laughs> like, there's just not a lot mm -hmm. that I feel like, and I that I've walked through myself, and I've I've gone through periods where I'm just like, well, what do I have to share? Because I haven't, I haven't been through an eating disorder. I haven't, I just haven't walked through that many mm -hmm. like what feels like a dramatic thing. And if you're someone like me that's also tuned into all the bad things that can happen to people, I can very easily diminish my own story and say, well, I don't have anything to share because I haven't been through anything, so I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to I'm just gonna not lend my voice to anything because clearly, but recognizing that, no, I'm, I'm like a female walking around in the world. That's brought some things yep. to the table. Yep. Um, yep. I live in West Michigan, and I don't have a conservative Christian worldview. Yep. That brings yep. a few things to the yep. table. Um, so they're just not diminishing your own whatever it is. There's something. Mm -hmm. There's something that you mm -hmm. can give and connect with and impact and all of that. So Absolutely. And yeah. you are not black, but you have a Black Lives Matter sign in your yard. Right. I'm not <laughs> yes. black, but I'm raising a black son. Right. So those are not my issues mm -hmm. but somebody i love very deeply right. and intimately and would take a bullet for these are his issues so yeah. sometimes it's maybe not your something you yeah. have specifically walked through but who is in your circle who are you yeah. loving who are you advocating for yeah and i have felt like that often um in hiv or lgbtq conversation since yeah. i am a person of faith not conservative faith but i'm a person of faith that i can be a bridge often for people of faith who are struggling with how to engage the LGBTQ community. Yes. Kind of like me in the needle exchange. They've been taught one thing that's like, hey, yeah. keep keep those people over there. Yep. And I can be a bridge person to say, nope, nope, come on over. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have some relationships, yes. right? Yeah. So I think, too, for I really want to encourage people to think in terms of who can I be a bridge for? Yes. That people might listen. They might not listen to, you know, the, the end user over here, yeah. but... But they might, I might be able to be a vehicle uh, on that learning trajectory. Yeah, for sure. And that's super, super. And the world needs bridge builders and bridge people and all the bridges. Lots of bridges. We need them all. <laughs> we need yes. them all in spades. We yes. Do. <laughs> so we're going to take this in maybe a little bit of a frivolous direction and talk about favorite things. Did okay. I prep you with this? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. See, but I, I, I don't, don't know, know what I, I prep you with. <laughs> um, 
because I think on a very surface level, this is sometimes the, I've already said that this is the gateway drug to deeper connection. I think people, if people figure out like, well, I like funky jewelry. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I probably too. saw you across the room at some point and was like, check her earrings out. Um, <laughs> yes. She's probably cool. Um, but it, it's like that silly stuff that I think people, you know, that's where they can meet in the very first seconds of connection is just stuff that sure. they have in sure. common that they like to do sure. or whatever, read or whatever. Yes. So what are you loving right now, this moment that's making you smile or happy or whatever? Um, always big earrings. Always big <laughs> Yes. My big earring <laughs> sister. I just had a yes. friend yesterday text me and she was like, I ordered these earrings online and they're a lot bigger than I thought they were. So. And you're the only person <laughs> that I know that would wear them. And I was like, absolutely, yep. mm -hmm. please put them on my porch. And she did, and that made my day. Um. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So always got it. Yes, um, I love the early bird, which is a yes. you know coffee shop here. I will tell and you, I've never been there. Well, if you go, I'll probably I'll probably see you okay. there. <laughs> uh, so I'd love to hang out there, and I often run into lots of people I know and it's mm -hmm. just those really fun impromptu like people from somebody from 10 years ago or somebody from last week like yes. here you are and it's just really fun for me to have those interactions so lots now, of why do you like that space because it's bright and happy because they have good coffee all of the okay above. so they have kombucha on tap stop it right so now. that's one of my favorite things right yes. now <laughs> although yesterday the kombucha keg exploded or some there was some drama so. you never know kombucha so. is unpredictable <laughs> So, yeah, right now one of my okay. favorite things is kombucha on tap. And you can yes. get it there. I did not know this. And I'm, gonna have I'm to a gluten-free vegetarian, which is just the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> so when you can find places where you can, like, order just about anything off the yes. menu, that's always a bonus, too. I love it. So, yeah. My follow-up question is always, do you, have you ever made your own kombucha? No. Because I feel no. like the world is divided. Yeah, if no. If you like kombucha, no, the people no that will make it. it. No. No. I, I mean, my passion either. is very limited in that yeah. regard. I want to drink <laughs> it. I don't want to make it. No. There are a lot of things that I really like to consume that I don't want to make. Yeah, for I sure. I really like cheese. I have no interest in cheese making. No. None. People hanging the cloths from their, you know, no. No. Thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> things fermenting. No. No. But I really do love to consume it. So... Yeah, mm -hmm. there's a. Do you have an instant pot? This is real tangential. No, but, but I, I, I've heard of the. It's not okay. gonna change your life. Don't worry about it. Okay, it's a trend for sure. And I got one for Christmas, and I was like, oh, woo, and like everybody else. But there's a. It only relates because there's a button on the instant pot that says yogurt. <laughs> and I don't need to make my own yogurt. No, I do not. No. I don't want to make it in a big pot. <laughs> that I. What in the world? Yeah. Is somebody really going, you know what I can mm -hmm. do now is make my own yogurt. Give me a yogurt. A Great. culture. Something a with culture. culture. <laughs> no yes. A fermenting. No, but I love, a... but I mean, once again, back to I have a teachable spirit. I love the yes. fact that other people oh. get jazzed by that. Yes. And, and I'd I love just... to go to your artisanal cheese like shop. <laughs> Absolutely. And purchase Absolutely. I some think of that's that. awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. But no, I, I know my not. limits. Yeah. I know my limits. Yes. I'm not an awesome chef I'm, I'm not I'm not yeah so I can do other things <laughs> yes lots of other gifts my friend Kristen said this one she said I have lots of wonderful qualities cooking is not one of them yes <laughs> okay I, I can admit that I do love to cook but I don't want to culture anything no. or let it ferment no or no I do not no no anything else that you're absolutely loving favorite things or did we cover it 
kombucha on tap, early bird, <laughs> big earrings, big earrings. I'm I mean, a simple that sounds gal. Like, sounds like um, a good day, right there. You know, there. I love, I love uh, great writing. Yes. So who are so you? So I just, um, well, I this earlier this year I read the resur- read the resurrection of Joan Ashby, okay. and it was like such excellent writing. The story people don't necessarily love the protagonist. But yeah, I just love great writing. I just mm-hmm. finished Fates and Furies. Um, so those are novels. I normally read nonfiction. That was my next um, question. Most of what I read is nonfiction. So that's not always like mm-hmm. prose <laughs> that's mm-hmm. inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, and, and kind of in a specific genre, um, I'm fascinated by what as a person of faith, what is emerging kind of on the other side. Mm-hmm. I think the institutional church does not have a bright future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you read mm-hmm. any statistics. Um, but I went to, okay, so one thing I love right now, in January I went to a conference called the Mystic Soul. Okay. Which was a conference on kind of mysticism and spirituality and activism mm-hmm. solely from the perspective of people of color. Mm-hmm. So I had to apply as a non-POC. I had to apply to attend. Mm-hmm. And I had to answer questions about kind of decolonizing my faith structure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all mm-hmm. these like really, really great questions. Um, so it was people of color and um, trans queer affirming. So uh-huh. it was such a beautiful experience to sit and learn, learn about mysticism, spirituality, and activism mm-hmm. from people who... Uh, honest, you know, I mean, obviously have such different stories than my own. Yeah. And it was really moving and precious and special. So I realized more and more, those are voices I want to be listening to. Yeah. Um, those are people I want to influence how I see the world. And, and once again, decolonizing yes. <laughs> some of my own ideas about the world and faith and um, to really be open, open to those voices. Mm-hmm. So that's another one of my favorite things these days. Mystic Soul, they have a website and they have some resources, but yeah. Mystic Soul, it's good stuff. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Really beautiful. Where was it? It was in Chicago. And cool. um, so it's great. Well, this has been super fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know Thank that you. we've had, ever had a chance to talk longer than a, like two minutes picking up our kids. So <laughs> it's been awesome to get to know you. Thank you so much Thank for you. sitting down with me. I loved every single second and I hope you did too. I love the idea of showing up and shutting up. Being brave and showing up but staying long enough and listening long enough to earn the right to speak. I think that's so key to bridge building and it just made so much sense. Show up and shut up. I also love the idea that the more you show up, the more you want that experience, the more you risk the more you find out that that's where the learning is, the good stuff, the wilderness, the magic. I've said it before that I am not a risk taker by nature, but this spoke to me loud and clear. It's so motivating just to show up and the uncomfortable that I inevitably feel at the beginning will give way to growth if you just keep showing up. And the last thing I'll mention, because I could literally unpack my thoughts on this interview for hours, is the idea that we should fill our life with people who are life-giving. Ask yourself, who is filling you up? Who is draining you? Who do you love pouring into because it's a mutual experience? We need to set those boundaries and know that we are worth a community that fills us up. Ah, I love it so much. 
If you are loving this podcast and the idea of creating connection through these conversations, please share this show with your people. It would mean so much to me to grow this little thing that I'm doing because I truly believe in it, which feels crazy vulnerable to say out loud, but it's true. And if you're local, I even got cool new business cards printed, and I'm happy to give you a couple to hand out. But otherwise, if you don't run into me, you can still share the link to my website, my Facebook page, um, and the link to Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back soon with another episode of Taking the Middle Seat.